you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Lift your hands in this room and lift your voice one more time. Close your eyes right where you are. Lift it up and say, earlier, all of those that have been traveling in from down south, everybody's telling the same story. Our son Spencer left from Cincinnati a little while behind Brother Joel and Sister Heidi Urshan, and he called me, and my sweet daughter-in-law was heartbroken, wishing that they could be here. And they turned around about the state line and went back gave Brother Urshan the option of doing so, and I told him that if I was in his shoes, I probably would have. But he continued to drive through the storm. I believe God has sent him with a word for this congregation tonight. And my goodness, didn't our friend Pastor John Reading leave a word with us here just a moment ago? There's not a preacher in the room that would have not been shaking in their shoes to be told about five minutes before he walked on the platform, I have no other option but to ask you. And so when he tells people that he preached at the awakening, I'm going to tell them, my good friend, I had no other option. Uh, don't you love brother reading and sister reading? They're wonderful family. Glad to have Clark and Jonathan with us. Amen. All of you, all of our ministry friends, thank you for being here tonight. It is our honor tonight to introduce our speaker this evening. We have been friends as almost as far back as I can remember. I love Brother Joel.
Joel and Sister Heidi Urshan. They are leading a revival church in Cincinnati, Ohio. We love them. He certainly is not looking for a pulpit. He preaches probably out more than anyone that I know and uh, yet would be willing to come here and preach tonight, brave the storm, and be here. And I'm glad and I'm thankful. And I believe he's going to bring a word to us tonight. Would you give him a great big warm welcome? Pastor Joel Urshan from Cincinnati, Ohio, we love you. Preach your heart to us. to all generations. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Oh, I'm thankful to be here tonight. We are thankful. Sister Heidi and I uh, indeed made our way. In fact, we thought we'd be an hour early, but it took us four and a half hours to make a two and a half hour drive, and we got here, I think, an hour late. of God was so concentrated, and you could feel it in Brother Reading, you, the, the power of the Word was coming forth, and, and the beautiful presence of God that's here from prayer and worship, it's just nothing like being with the people of God, in the presence of God, amen, and to be at Christian Life Church with our dear friends, Pastor and Sister Jordan, we love them and their family, can we give them a great big hand clap, we love them. was so uh, very challenging, but but my goodness, what a great crowd, what a great gathering of people who did indeed weather the storm and are here tonight, and uh, just good to be here at Awakening. Thank God for Awakening. Thank God for Awakening. I, I see there's just something very special about this meeting, and it blesses all who are a part of it, and uh, you can feel how it has built this week and how that it has continued to go on uh, just to, to this Friday night and forward, and I'm just thankful to be a part of it. Praise the Lord. Well, I know that we've been here a little while, so I'll turn your attention, if you will, to the book of Romans. I'm going to read just a, a few verses of Scripture in your hearing. Romans chapter 4, and I want to read uh, just four verses of Scripture, verses 13 through 16. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. I want to say a great big hello to everybody I know that's here. There are many, and I love all of you, and I thank God for the very special relationships that I have with the people of God in this room. Sister Heidi and I uh, have so many friends, and and uh, when we, anytime we come to Indiana, we look for every opportunity to come just across the state line. Amen, and, and be in Indiana. So it's always good to see you. But Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, this is what the word of the Lord says. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs of faith, 
dismayed and none affected. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, and I want you to notice these words, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I want us to concentrate on that, that statement at the outset of verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. And I would like to speak to you on that subject, that it might be by grace. Amen. That it might be by grace. Could we lift up our voices unto the Lord and ask God to bless the preaching of his word? Lord, we stand before you tonight in humble acknowledgement of your sovereignty and of your great glory. And I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you will anoint the preaching of your word tonight. We have come to this place, Lord, for an awakening of our soul, awakening of our spirit. We've come to this place to draw nearer to you. We thank you for your presence in this house. God, that has been culminating, building. Hallelujah. Lord, let it be manifest in a mighty demonstration of your spirit. Let your word go forth and heal. Let it not return void. Lord, help us to have the understanding that you would give to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. of scripture that we have read, words that always develop thoughts within us as to what they mean and, and words that have been uh, used and sometimes abused, misused, uh, but, but words of God that we have responsibility to, to understand. Words like grace and faith and law and righteousness. And uh, these are important words in the word of God that, that are very key and critical to our success in living for the Lord and in, in our lives. And uh, yet one of the words that I, I'd like for us to focus on is that word it, I-T. I don't mean information technology, it. It is a pretty big word in this passage. It is a faith that it might be by grace. That's how Paul frames it. It is of faith that it might be of grace. Now, the it that he's referring to is, uh, it, it encompasses a lot. It is describing the fact that Abraham was made heir of the world. That God had bestowed upon Abraham all of the great glory and riches and blessing and covenant. And that this came about in Abraham's life in 
about through the process of faith. He said it is of faith. And he, and he makes a distinction. He said it is not through the law that it occurred. It occurred not through the law, but it occurred through the righteousness of faith. And that faith there is a, a powerful word. Of course, it does involve belief. It also involves obedience, and it involves belief and obedience for this reason, because it really has to do with persuasion. It has to do with the fact that Abraham was sold out. It, it had become him. It, it was in and on and around and all about him. So when it says it is a faith, this doesn't just mean that Abraham believed in a mental acceptance of a thing, but it means that he believed and was persuaded and yearned and desired to the point that he obeyed, not because he felt manipulated into obedience, but because he was persuaded and you couldn't turn him back for anything. It, that receiving of the blessing, the covenant, the glory, the power is of faith. Why is it of faith? Paul said it is of faith that it might be by grace. It is of faith and not through the law, but of faith for this purpose that when it's all said and done, we can know that it was by grace, that it might be by grace. Now, what do we mean by grace? This word grace deals with graciousness, and it is referring to the grace of God or to the graciousness of God. And the graciousness in this instance, it, it, it actually means the stooping down. It is, a, it, is, it is akin to when you may say that someone was very gracious to you. If you've ever high and lofty opinion of themselves, but instead they are very, what, what do we call it? We call it down to earth. What are we saying? We're saying they have stooped down. They have been gracious. They are so gracious. You're saying they are so down to earth. That is what God did when he became a man. He came down to earth. He stooped down. He became gracious unto us. So why is our receiving of the promise, the blessing, the covenant, the glory of God, why is it of faith? Why is it of us being persuaded to do it and not because somebody forced us with a law to obey that we can say it was by the grace or the graciousness or the stooping down of God? need to be able to say that we live for God not because somebody has forced us to obey a rule, but we live for God because we are so enamored with the goodness and the grace of God that I am persuaded to live for Him. If there were no rule or regulation, I don't need a rule or a regulation. I don't need somebody to tell me 
to have to do something for me to be willing to do it. Because the graciousness of God has persuaded me. Hallelujah. This is what Paul was describing when he said, I am persuaded. What was he persuaded about? He was persuaded about one thing, the love of God. Nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God if you will ever become persuaded by the love of God. You will stop at nothing to tell everybody about the goodness and the grace of Almighty God. Nobody would ever have to try to guilt, shame, manipulate, strong arm, or force you to do good things for God because the love of God will have constrained you. It is of faith that it might be by grace. And it's important to know who wrote these words. The man who wrote these words is a man we know as the Apostle Paul. But that is not how we are introduced to him in the scriptures. In the scriptures, we meet him as a man named Saul. And he was an evil man. But he believed that he had done good works, even though his practices were evil. He was doing what he believed was right, and it was wrong. But we meet him as he is consenting unto the death of the martyr Stephen. And he is holding the coat, and Stephen is being stoned to death. Stephen is preaching a message of final uh, persuasion to the Jews. He's taking them through their history. He's leading them up to the point of acceptance, only for them to deny him. And he, 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 he almost becomes, he almost becomes indignant and says, "You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart." You, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as did your fathers. And here they come with the stones and they pelt him and they kill him. And Saul is standing there consenting unto the death. What that means is consenting unto the death is a reference to the fact that Saul was authorizing it. It was Saul's signature on it. Saul was the lead guy in this. And he made havoc of the church. He went into people's homes and tormented them and the Christians scattered out of Jerusalem. When we see famously or infamously Saul upon the road to Damascus with letters upon his person, think about why is he on the road to Damascus? He is tracking down Christians. They're not in Jerusalem. They've scattered about. He's, he's, he's accomplished his mission of ridding Jerusalem of the Christian people. But they've scattered about, and now he's going to track them down in whatever city they are in. And here they come to Damascus, and he finds out they are in Damascus, and he is on his way to Damascus. It's not enough to him that they are driven out of Jerusalem. He wants them dead. He is murderous in his heart, but he believes that he is justified in doing this because he believes they are a threat to the law of Moses. Now, you have to understand this about Paul. Before we go any further about this man, let's understand what he said about himself. 
He said to the church at Philippi, giving his credentials, he said, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh. Paul lost all confidence in his flesh's ability to please God because his flesh was so incredibly and meticulously disciplined in its keeping of the law of Moses and it it profited him nothing. Listen to what he says about the confidence in his flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might have trust in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law. You ready for this? A Pharisee. Expert, a Pharisee concerning zeal. Nobody had zeal like me. I was persecuting the church. Listen to what he said about this. Touching the law, blameless. In touching the law, I was blameless. This means he dotted every I of the law of Moses and he crossed every T of the law of Moses. Everything that the law of Moses required or prescribed Saul achieved it. Saul felt very justified to go after the Christians because he knew that the law of Moses was on shifting sand. Now you understand, Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so, but but the fact that it was being fulfilled, the finalizing and the fulfilling of the law of Moses caused Saul to feel very threatened because he had dotted those I's, crossed those T's, kept it all, every last little bit of it, and now Jesus comes along and says, I'm fulfilling it, which sounded like a fancy way to Saul of, I'm destroying it, but Jesus made it clear, no, 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 I've come to tell you what it meant. And this is what Paul Paul said of himself, he said, what things were him. These were the trophies on his shelf. These were the badges of his honor. These were the the bullet points upon his bio. This was his pedigree. But what things were gained to me, I counted those as loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, doubtless, I don't have a doubt in my mind question in my spirit. I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. This man had ultimate confidence in his ability to keep the law of Moses and somewhere along the way that confidence turned into a total repudiation of his flesh. He said, I count it as excrement compared to the excellency of Jesus Christ. How? How did it shift to such a degree in the life of Saul? It happened on the road to Damascus. This was the ultimate point of his whole life. 
He testified about it to Agrippa. He testified about it to Felix. He and Defestus, he let it be known over and over. This was the testimony of this man, Saul, who we know as Paul, on the road to Damascus, there to persecute the church. He sees a light that shines above the brightness of the sun. It knocks him to the earth. It blinds him temporarily. And the voice that speaks from the light says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What, what that means is you are fighting a losing battle. You think you're doing the work of God, but you're not doing the work of God. You are trying to stop the church, but you will never stop the church. You're trying to destroy the Christians, but you'll never destroy the Christians. Kicking against the pricks means you're taking your bare foot and stomping on spikes, expecting to win that battle. You will never win that battle. Your foot will lose and you will only injure yourself in the process. I'm going to tell you, you need to stop resisting the Holy Ghost. You need to stop resisting what the Lord is doing in your life. You need to go ahead and just release and surrender and say, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing, not opposed. Not opposed. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Don't stomp on spikes. Don't kick against the pricks. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Now that was a loaded question because he was recognizing the power of the God of Israel. Who are you, Lord? The question was, I thought I knew you. Apparently I don't. Because I'm doing your business. So who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. That changed everything. When he should have, in that moment, he should have been stricken down. He should have been destroyed. He should have been completely, completely judged by God. But instead, the Lord raised him up, said, I have set you apart. I have chosen you as a vessel. He told Ananias to go pray for him to receive his sight, that he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear witness of me before kings and nations and Israel. And from that moment on, Saul said, all of this time I had kept the intricacies of the law of Moses because I felt like I had to keep the law of Moses, only to find out that the law of Moses was was not enough when I stood before the judgment of God because his flesh could never keep the law to the satisfaction of the holiness of God. And Paul lost all confidence in his flesh. Now, here's what you have to understand. There is a nuance between the law of God and the law of Moses that distinguishes them from one another. Now, you've got to know that the law of God is the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was the law of God. But there was one little distinguishing factor that did make them different from one another. And here's what it was. When Moses stood before God in that burning 
Jewish experience. It changed his life forever. He experienced the power and the glory of God firsthand. He heard with his own ears the name of God. I am that I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. And he called Moses right there at the burning bush. He sent Moses right there from the burning bush. When Moses went, he was 80 years old. And when he went into Egypt, you wonder what emboldened him to go back into a nation where he was wanted for murder? I'll tell you what emboldened him. He had stood in the presence of the power and the glory of Almighty God. There was no king on this earth who could intimidate Moses out of what he had received from God before that burning bush. He didn't have a law on tablets of stone. He had a personal encounter with God. When he walked before Pharaoh, he said, I don't, you can try to kill me all you want, but I've been in touch with the fire from heaven. You can try to intimidate me and tell me that you're going to drive me out, that I won't accomplish what God sent me to accomplish, but you can say it all you want. I've come to tell you, let God's people go. was throwing down his rod, sticking his rod in the water. He was turning dust to lice, bringing frogs out of the water, and, and on and on. Why? Because he had a personal relationship and encounter with God, and he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and marched them across the Red Sea, and he came to that mountain where he had been alone with God. Son to me. Israel's my firstborn son. Bring him to me. I want, I want them to know who I am. That's my son. That's what God called Israel to Moses. My firstborn son. I want him to know who I am. I've heard their cry. I've seen their affliction. I want them to know who I am. I'm their father. I'm my son. Bring them to me. Now, they don't know who I am. So you have to create feasts to show them through the feast and the symbolism of the feast to prepare their flesh to be able to even understand who I am. So you, you have to take it slowly because I used to walk and talk with man in the cool of the day. But sin changed all of that. And now when man hears my voice, he is afraid. But, but bring them to the mountain. Don't let them touch the mountain or they'll die. Bring them to the mountain and let's, let's slowly lead them. Ultimately, here's what God wanted. He wanted all of them one by one to stand before the same burning bush Moses stood before. He wanted to speak his name to each and every Israelite. He wanted all of them to know, I am your father. I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is me, it is I who created you. You belong to me. You are special to me. You are the apple of my eye. Moses couldn't wait. He was preaching that to Aaron and to Miriam and to all the tribes of Israel. And when they, when they get across the Red Sea and into the wilderness and they they get to that mountain where Moses had had this experience. He looks at everybody and he says, there it is. That's where, that's where the God of our fathers, that's where he dwells. That's where I met him. I can't, well, you guys are going to love it. 
Ezra looked up and saw that mountain, and there were lightning bolts, vapors of smoke, thunderings, the voice of words, the Bible says, rolling thunder, blackness and darkness and tempest. And they looked at Moses, and Moses was like, y'all ready? Y'all ready to go up? And they said, you, sir, must be out of your mind if you think that we're going to go up to that mountain. We're not going up to that mountain. He said, look, I know it looks scary. I know it's different to you, to your flesh. I know you've never experienced anything like it, but I promise you, when you get into the middle of the darkness and the tempest and the vapors of smoke, there's a peace that passes understanding. There is a joy in the midst of every sorrow. Life begins to make sense for the first time. Questions start getting answered. I, I don't know how to explain it. I just know that if you walk up into the glory with me, it'll change your life forever. But they would not do it. They sent him up and said, you go talk to God. And you find out what God wants to say to us, and you tell us what he says, and we'll take your word for it. Moses goes back up to God, says, God, they won't come anywhere near. They don't want anything to do with you. They are terrified. They sent me as their representative to come talk to you. They want me to get your words, and they want me to take your words to them, and then they'll just take my word as though it's your word. And God said, all right, then that's what they're going to have to do, because that's all they can handle. So God said, here's my word. And he gave him ten commandments. That is the law of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. That's the law of God. And that's what Moses does. And Moses turns and takes it to the children of Israel. Now let me tell you something about the law of God. The law of God is ten of those. But God said really they're, they're actually just wrapped up in two. When I gave them to Moses, I gave them as ten. But, but if, if you'll just keep two, you'll keep all ten. And here are the two. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He actually said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and him only shall you serve. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like unto the first, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So there's really two commands. And, 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 and what, it, what it looks like in the context of what we are to abstain from and what we are to participate in, it comes forth as ten commands. And then Moses brings it down from the mountain and gives it to the children of Israel and says, all right, there's 613 of them. Stand between you and God. And it takes a lot more than just two, a lot more than just ten. It tries to cover every single aspect of everything.
decision and it tries, it has to legislate every little action that you do because your flesh is trying to keep the law of God. And so, so that's why the, this is the law of God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the law of God. But, but when you don't get that from God and you only hear it from a, somebody who's been with God, then it turns into thou shalt not commit adultery, which means you cannot adulterate wool with linen. You can't adulterate soybeans with corn. You can't adulterate anything because if you start adulterating anything, one thing will lead to another. It's a slippery slope. Your flesh is weak, and you will commit the adultery that will condemn your soul to eternal damnation. That's the difference between the law of God and the law of Moses. The law of God, when God speaks his law, and it is spoken by his word into your spirit, it writes his law upon your heart. But when God gives his word to a man and then that man is trying to get you to agree with it and trying to somehow get you to come into alignment with it and get you to try to pull you and drag you into being obedient to God, then it takes all kinds of all sorts of different types of, of restrictions and regulations. When in fact, the goal is is for you to be in the presence of God, in the word of God, hearing the voice of God, so that his law can be imprinted upon your heart. Listen to what, listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is what he said in Jeremiah 31. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which is my covenant, my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write my law in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. It's, it's going to be something that lives inside of them. It will not be an external tablet of stone that they have to reference every time they're trying to justify a feeling they have. A tablet of stone that they're referencing every time they go to make a business transaction. And they got to look and make sure I'm not disobeying the law of God. No, it'll get into their instincts. It'll get into their desire system. It'll get into the way they feel about people. And nobody's going to have to hold a gun to their head and try to force them to be righteous or to be holy or to be submitted. It'll be in their inward part. Moses came down out of that mountain with those tablets of stone in his hand. And as he came marching down, he couldn't wait to show what he had. And when he got down there, all of Israel was were a bunch of heathens. Totally debauched, worshiping that golden, golden calf and 
did that and became enraged, took those ten commandments that he held in his hands and threw them to the ground, and they shattered. Moses broke all ten commandments at one time. Every one of them did it all in one move. It's actually hard to do, but that is what happens when you try to keep the commandments in your hands. When you hold the commandments in your hands, when you're trying to keep the law of God with your flesh, when you're trying to force yourself and you're using your willpower and your exceptional discipline and you're going to show people how good you can do it, you will break it every single time. (laughs) Hear me now. Even if you dot the I's. And even if you cross the T's, it's not just about the action of obedience. You've got to desire obedience. And you can't force yourself to desire something. It takes the Spirit of God to live inside of you. why Jesus came along as to interpret the law of Moses and and say it was a schoolmaster to lead you to me. It was a schoolmaster. It was to give you kind of an apparatus and an infrastructure, but it was leading you to me. So let me help you understand it. It's not enough just to not kill somebody. Wow, congratulations, you didn't strangle them. No, it's not just about not strangling somebody. You cannot strangle somebody. Don't worry, I didn't kill them. I didn't kill them, but you hate them. You didn't kill them, but you, but you, but you, you tried to wound them in a different way. You didn't kill them, but you were malicious toward them. You, you did, and Jesus said, it's the same thing. You violated the law. He said, committing adultery, if you haven't committed the physical act of adultery, that's, 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 that's great. But if you look upon a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've got to understand this isn't just about dotting I's and crossing T's. It's got to become the person that you are. You've got to become a holy person. You've got to become a righteous person. And that can't happen in your flesh. That can't happen because you feel guilty. And so you don't want to feel guilty anymore. And so you you try to force yourself into this box. No, no, God said, I'm going to write my law in your hearts. What does it mean for God to write his law in our hearts? When God writes his law in our hearts, it means God puts his law in our feelings. It means we feel. Not only do we not kill, we love. The, if the Ten Commandments are the bare minimum. They're not, they're not, they're not something as a, as a list of rules not to do. They are, they are an example of what, what the flesh will do unregenerated. But the goal is not that you don't kill, it's that you love. It's not that you don't steal, it's that you give. It's not that you have no other gods before him, it's that you he's your only God. It's not that you don't take this name in vain only, it's that you exalt his name above all others. Hallelujah. It's not it's not just that you that you honor your father and mother so you can live long upon the earth. It's so that you honor your father and your mother. It's God's trying to give you a gift. 
Imagine with me if the whole world kept the Ten Commandments. What if the whole world, we've been so adulterated. What if all husbands and wives loved one another and only one another and there was no unfaithfulness and there was no envy and jealousy, coveting of other person's belongings? What kind of a world would we live in? I'll tell you what kind of a world. It's the kingdom. There's a highway there, a highway called holiness. Hallelujah. When you look at the Ten Commandments, you are looking at the reflection of God's nature. These are not ten arbitrary rules that God just said. I'll tell you what. Uh, I tell them don't covet and don't steal and what else could they not bear false? Yeah, that's a good one. Don't bear false. That's not what was going on. God was putting his nature in the context of ten commandments that we can look at and understand. There's no other God but him. He's the only God. His name is not to be taken in vain. His name is above every name. His name has the power to break every chain and wash away every sin. Hallelujah. The Ten Commandments matter because they are the reflection of God's nature. That's why when you break one of them, chaos breaks loose in your life. You can track 90% of your problems. Some of your problems are because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But most of our problems can be traced back to our transgression of that law. Most of them some place where we coveted and you're still struggling with coveting. Coveting what somebody else has because you're not content with the blessings of God in your life. Yeah, yeah, stealing. Why why steal? We we of all people don't need to steal because Jehovah Jireh. Whoo, the Lord is my provider. You're safe leaving a hundred sitting next to me on the table. I'm not going to grab that hundred. In fact, I'll give you a hundred because he'll give me a thousand. It's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. These commandments matter because they reflect his goodness and his holiness and his nature. you to love them. Great peace have they that love thy law. Now, now understand, Paul said that the law worketh wrath. So, so he said the law worketh wrath, okay? He also said the law is perfect. What does he mean? How can both of those things be true? Because the law worketh wrath when it's dealing with the flesh. But the law is perfect when it's dealing with the spirit. It's imperfect because it's weak through the flesh. It's the flesh that contaminates the law of God. It's it's not the spirit. The spirit thrives with the law of God in it. Listen to what happens with the law of God when the spirit looks at it. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Not, Not converting temporary public behavior. Converting the soul, not temporarily putting you in a good position while people are looking at you. And when you're out in public and you're and you're thinking out loud. No, no, no. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony.
testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This law of God is perfect in the context of the Spirit. But it is, a, it is an arduous working of wrath in the context of the Spirit. The Bible says that the law hindereth the bondage, but, but, but the Spirit is promised. He said we are children of the free children of promise and not children of bondage. So so let me let me pause here and say there are many people who like to take this grace and turn it unto lasciviousness. And 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 this is what Jude said. He said beware there are certain men crept in unawares and they seek to turn the grace of God unto lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is a horrible licentious, sensual doctrine of devils. How dare anybody try to turn the beautiful and holy and peaceful grace of God unto lasciviousness. But that's what they do, and they do it in two ways. One way that they do it is that they take the grace of God and say the grace of God is so good and so plentiful that I can live however I want to live and the grace of God will cover me. God's okay with my sinful life. That's, that's the grace of God unto lasciviousness and that's a doctrine of devils. It's a deception. The other way that they do it is they say, don't even mention the word grace. Don't even talk about it because as soon as you talk about grace, somebody will take that grace and become lascivious with it. And they approach it from a standpoint of, of, a, of, a, of a legalistic adherence to the law Moses or even an interpretation of the scripture. But grace stands alone as the goodness and grace and mercy and power and holiness of God. And that grace is sufficient for you. That grace is sufficient for you. I said that grace, not the lascivious grace of a backslidden gospel and not a legalistic interpretation of grace, but that holy grace, that goodness and gracious and peaceful grace of God, it is sufficient for you. Ah, this is why I love to preach about the love of God. I love to tell people about how good God is. I love to preach his love, his love, his love, his love, his love, his love, his love. It's everlasting. His love is greater than any power on this earth. His love is stronger than death. His love has power over the grave. His love has power over every drug addiction. His love has power over every sin you have ever or could ever commit. Preach it until you believe it. Because if you'll believe it, his law will get in your heart. Nobody's going to have to beg you to repent. You will run a 
those things. Nobody's going to have to beg you to obey Acts 2.38. You'll dive into the waters and be baptized in Jesus' name going to have to try to convince you that the Holy Ghost is essential. You'll be at this altar every time you can with hands uplifted, tarrying for the gift of the Holy Ghost. What happened? You became persuasive. Because somebody forced you, guilted you, shamed you, manipulated you. into context how can a God who is so holy, so separate from sin so pure, so high above all the most high and exalted how can a God that holy be that gracious to a sinner like me oh I'm sorry that converts my soul that converts my soul I don't want the sin, I don't want the world I don't want the world Somebody put some rule and regulation. What rule or regulation? I'm not talking about rules or regulations. I'm talking about a good and gracious God who loved me when I was unlovable. While I was in sin, that holy God became a man like me. Yes, he did. I remember preaching. I was quoting Psalm 136. The last line of most verses in Psalm 136 ends like this. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. 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 And I said it about eight times and I got a little nervous after I thought, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that God's just so merciful. Maybe he's afraid they'll abuse his mercy. So I stopped halfway through the reading and I, I began to qualify it. Felt the Lord come behind me and say, Wait, I called you to preach my word. You're not my editor in chief. You just you just preach my word. I'll tell you, you you read my word, and and, and, and I want you to preach it the way I wrote it. So I just kept going, and you know what I realized? God wants us to declare his mercy until the devil worshiper believes it. God wants us to declare his mercy until the drug dealer believes it. God wants us to declare his mercy until the adulterer and the idolater, and yes, the homosexual, and yes, the transgender community. God wants us to preach his mercy and his holiness until they realize that a holy God loves them. bondage, it's kind of hard to live up to. When you look at it through bondage and you look at it as, as this list of things I got to do and not do, I know me, I'm going to struggle. But I look at it through promise and I see it in a totally different way. Could, could you do that with me just for a moment? Let's look at it really quick through bondage, okay? Here it is. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not have 
any other gods before me, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's from the standpoint of bondage. Now, let's look at it from the standpoint of promise. It's the same words, but hear it with promise now. Ready? You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You, you shall have no tricks before me. You shall not take my name in vain. And guess what? Here's another promise. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart. You, who, you, me, yeah, you. And guess what else you're going to do? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's a promise. It's a promise. To the flesh, it's bondage. But in the spirit, it's a promise. Spirit, you just receive it. And he takes all that killing and all that hatred and all that coveting and all that envy and all that adultery and all that stealing and all that perversion. He takes it out of you and he replaces it with the desire to be in the presence of a holy God. It is a faith that it might be by grace. Because you are so holy, but it will be because he is so holy. It will not be because you are so good, it will be because he is so good. It will not be because you are so disciplined, it will be because he was so disciplined and he discipled you in his image. of God. Your goodness is running after me. Your goodness is running after me. Hallelujah. Your law is perfect. I love the law of God. I love his law. His law is my everyday portion. His law is my daily bread. I wake up singing of his law. I go to bed singing of his law. His law is good. It teaches me to love my brother. It teaches me to love my sister. It teaches me all I need to know. is of faith, and it's of faith so that it will be by grace. I want somebody, if you could, just to lift up your hands in this house, and I want you to, I want you to let God persuade you again of how beautiful his ways really are. Maybe you know somebody who is struggling right now with the law of God. They're looking at it from the perspective of bondage. Maybe it's you or maybe it's a loved one. And they think it's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of restrictions that I could never keep. Just love the Lord. Just love the Lord. Just pray about it. Show them the law of God. Put the law of God on display. Put, put thou shalt not covet on display. Put, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain on display. Show them forgiveness in person. Be, be peace personified. Hallelujah. Be holy. Hallelujah. Just live it out in front of them. Let them fall in love with the law of God as it is displayed in your life. 
feel so rushed like God wants to put his law in somebody's heart right now. Here's the thing. You can stand with me. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. But here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to be honest with God and say, okay, God, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I've got this body. I've got this flesh. It's here. It's not resurrected yet. It's not glorified yet. It's here. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to feel the way I should feel about serving you. I know feelings. I know that I do it. I, I, I say it a lot. I tell our church in Cincinnati, I say, hey, we've got to serve God when we don't feel like serving God. Or I might say, we need to praise God even when we don't feel like praising God. I might say something like, you've got to be faithful even when you don't feel like being faithful. And all that's right and all that's true. But, but how much better to feel like praising God. How much better to feel like being faithful. Here, here's, here's the thing. Doing it when you don't feel like doing it is good, but that's a stopgap. It's temporary. It's short term. It won't last. It'll last for a few years. It'll, it'll go from sincere intentions and well-meaning effort to fake smiles and false holiness and eventually bitterness and cynicism. And you'll find company among those who turn their back on the Lord God. That's where it's going to end. But, but if you'll just humble yourself, Say, Lord, I want my feelings to be what they need to be. God, I want to delight myself in you so you will give me the desires of my heart. That doesn't mean BMWs and Rolls Royce. No, no. It, it, means, it means give me the desires I should have. If you're having trouble loving your spouse, Lord, give me the love I should have. If you're having trouble being faithful to church, Lord, give me the faithfulness I should have. You can ask God and should ask God for everything. You, you, you have mistakenly believed you can do some things yourself. When Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. I know we do our part and God does his part. I know that. I get that. I, I understand you have to understand this, that anything you can do, he can do better. He can do anything better than you. Lord, I want you to give me faithfulness. Give me holiness. Give me wisdom. Give me love. Give it. I need all of it from you. I don't need to manufacture any of it on my own because what I manufacture isn't good enough, isn't holy enough, isn't pure when I manufacture it, I want the credit for it. If it's me being faithful, then praise me. Worthy is me to open the book and lose the key. If it's me being holy, then, then work all praise be unto Joel. To Joel be the glory. God doesn't even want the praise for stuff you did. By grace, are you saved through faith? Okay, those are two actions. Grace is God's action. Faith is our action. By the acts of God's grace, are we saved through the acts of our faith? 
understand. He said, even the faith is the gift of God. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by your works of righteousness, lest any man should boast. Everything I have, even Brother Stovo, even my acts, I did. I've got documentation. I got baptized in Jesus' name. Me being baptized in Jesus' name was the gift of God. I remember when I repented of my sins, that repentance was the gift of God. I remember when I resisted temptation. Me resisting temptation was the gift of God. None of it is mine to proclaim. All of it is by grace. By grace. By grace through faith. It is of faith that it might be by grace. I'm going to tell you that if you'll release to God right now, there's a holy, there's a holiness of God in this place. If you're released to God right now, He will change desires you've been hoping would change for years. He will give you victory over struggles that you've been hoping to gain victory over for years. God's going to put His law in your feelings. He's going to put His law in your feelings. He's going to put love in your feelings. He's He's going to put contentment in your feelings. He's going to put love for your neighbor, for your spouse, for your children, for his law. Come on, that's it, that's it, that's it. Fill this, fill this altar, fill this altar. Come on, that's it, fill it up. Say, Lord, I'm not doing this because of some kind of a regulatory measure. I'm doing this because you are so good to me. the Lord is stooping down into this house right now. The Lord is stooping down into your circumstances right now. God's taking fear away from you right now. 